0: Great. Well, as Michaela's already alluded to, we are in a summer series called The Value of Rest. The value of rest. Uh, Hopefully, most of you are going to be able to get a chance to have a break over these summer months, or maybe you're even more sensible and uh, are free to take your break when everyone's gone back to school. But lovely to see Rob and uh, the family back. We're looking forward to our break. We're going away for a fortnight uh, next week, so looking forward to that. But throughout this series, we've been looking at how important it is that we prioritize time to relax, refuel, and just get refreshed. And uh, feel free to catch up on the series online, but a very quick recap. We've been looking at the reasons for our busyness why we tend to cram our lives right up to the hilt and, and say, oh, there's not enough hours in the day. And, and basically we saw how so often our identity is wrapped up in what we do. It, it really challenges, it gets to the core of who we are and where we place our sense of worth and significance. We, we've looked at the importance of creating a, a healthy weekly rhythm of rest And work as well. You know, just the fact that Sabbath rest is is not something that's a legalistic duty, but as Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. We've looked at how we need to make sure that we're drawing from the right source when we do take times of rest and refreshing, that we're not just cramming our time, filling ourselves with junk, but actually we're getting refreshed from the right places as well. And we've also looked last week. At this wonderful promise of Jesus that we can cast all our cares and all our burdens that each one of us carry onto him. And it just showed that that is a declaration of trust. Again, it goes back to confidence in him. We can trust Jesus. So hopefully now we're, we're getting a, a greater understanding, uh, hopefully a greater sense of how God-honoring it is when we prioritize and practice rest and practice it well. The question I want to ask this morning is how do we carry this renewed attitude to rest into our working week? Or to put it another way, how can we work from a place of ongoing rest you know, whatever that work is, whether it's, uh, you know, managing a growing family like Olu and Abby, whether it's managing a whole company, whether it's looking for work, because that in itself is hard work. And I know for many of us, just getting through the week can be a real challenge. You know, maybe your experiences that come Monday morning, come the school run, come the daily commute into work, suddenly all that rest and peace that you were gaining just goes out the window. You know, returning to work means returning to stress, returning to pressure, returning to anxiety. I don't know about you, but I don't believe that's how God wants us to live our lives. And it's certainly not what Jesus modeled to us. As always, the best way to look at how to live our lives is just to look at the model of Jesus. How did he work from a place of rest? You know, he always seemed to be in a place of total peace, never anxious, never fearful, never striving. And, and don't forget, he knew the the pressures of massive workload, but he also knew the pressures of huge expectations as well. You know, sometimes it's not the physical work that's so draining; it's the expectations. And he had massive expectations. People were putting on him so many expectations. People wanted a king. They wanted a political leader. They wanted a revolution. They wanted him to overthrow the Romans. They wanted a miracle maker. And so he had all this pressure, all this demand on his time. He was seriously busy, but he was never burned out. You know, yes, he got upset, he got weary, he got frustrated at times with his own disciples and certainly with the Pharisees, but he lived his life in a place of perfect rest in his Father. So let's just look, uh, you know, I could have picked many, many examples from the Gospels about Jesus' busyness and yet how he coped with it. But we're just going to turn to Mark chapter 6, reading from verse 30. So Jesus had sent out the 12, the disciples, and they had returned to him. And we're reading from verse 30. The apostles, the disciples, gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me. By yourselves, to a quiet place, and let's get some rest. Jesus prioritized rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Can you imagine how Jesus felt seeing this gathering crowd the other side? When Jesus landed, he saw the large crowd and shouted at them to leave him alone. No. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And he taught them. And he taught them. And we end up with him having to do the miracle of feeding the 5,000 men plus all their families. We get to verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up a mountainside to pray. Finally, peace at last. Jesus had crazy demands on his time. Here we see him having to skip meals. And dodged the crowds, you know, even when he made plans to get a time of rest. Sometimes, like in this passage, those, those times were hijacked by people. But he had a wonderful attitude to rest. He prioritized it. But he also had a wonderful attitude to work to what he was called to do. And I think those two key things are so important with understanding how we can work from rest. We need to understand the value of rest. We also need to have a very healthy attitude to our work. And I think there are two prevailing attitudes to work in our culture. One is is that work is a necessary evil. I wonder if that's how you feel work is. It's just something I have to do to pay the bills, something I have to do to pay for my leisure time. So we endure work to live for our holidays. We endure work to live for the weekends. You know, we have, we have our holiday marked in the calendar months in advance, and, and we're counting down the days, almost like we're doing time in prison. And when we do get that break, so often we can feel drained of life, dissatisfied with what we've achieved because our heart hasn't really been in our work. I don't think that's, again, how God wants us to live. You know, for Jesus, his work was passionate service. It was passionate service. We read, even when he was tired and exhausted, He was moved by compassion and went the extra mile. You know, notice he wasn't moved by guilt. He wasn't motivated either by fear of upsetting people. You know, he didn't think, wow, there's there's a huge crowd forming. I better keep the peace. I better not upset them. That wasn't his motivation. It wasn't out of fear. It wasn't out of guilt. It was out of compassion and he went the extra mile. The other, I think, prevailing attitude to work in our culture is completely the other way. My life is my work. I live for work. You know, this is where your focus is primarily on what you do. This is where your career is your main driving force in your life where you live to get to the next pay grade, where you live for that next future prospect. You know, maybe it's something as simple like you get so much value and satisfaction from what you do that perhaps it's got a little addictive. Now, I'm not saying there is anything wrong with getting value and satisfaction from your work. That is wonderful. There is a problem, though, when it becomes your primary source of value, and satisfaction that's when it starts becoming an idol which is what we looked at or Liam looked at in week one of this series when your work becomes all about you you get totally wrapped up in your work your identity your security your very meaning and worth is totally wrapped up in what you do then that's a problem And the trouble is, when when work is all about us, when we're successful, it goes straight to our heads. We get full of pride. And when we make mistakes and when we fail, it goes straight to our hearts. We get crushed. Neither one is a good place to be. And when we're so wrapped up in our work, that's when we end up getting burnt out, which doesn't just affect us, it also affects our relationships and those around us as well. Tim Keller in his book, Every Good Endeavor. I've I've recommended quite a few books on this series. Here's another one. Tim Keller's Every Good Endeavor. Connecting your work to God's plan for the world. Really excellent read. If you're still looking for a book for the summer, I might email out some of these uh, suggestions as well so people can can, uh, catch up. But he says this, you know, for most of us, It's not actually the daily grind of doing what we do that wears us out. It's what he describes as the work beneath the work. It's this trying to prove ourselves, striving in our work to impress our colleagues or our bosses or even ourselves, striving to be fruitful, striving to to build some sort of sense of worth and meaning through what we do. He says this, many people try and get a sense of self through productivity and success. But guess what? That burns them out. These motivations are what makes work so physically and emotionally exhausting. Perhaps for some of us, we just need to be really brutally honest. If you're the type of person who says, I just don't have enough hours in the day, It might be helpful just to challenge yourself and just ask, what actually are the motivating factors behind my busyness? Kevin DeYoung in his book Crazy Busy, which is another another book we recommended, puts it like this, the busyness that's bad is not the busyness of work, but the busyness that works hard at the wrong things. Okay. Trying Again, what are these wrong things? Trying to find ourselves in what we do rather than resting in who God says we are. Trying to find ourselves in what we do. However, praise God, there is another way to see our work. And that is to see it as good, but not God. It's good. It's not a necessary evil. But it's not God. It is not what we live for. You know, and for those who do see work as a necessary evil, you need to understand that God created us to work before the fall, before sin corrupted creation. Work was not the curse, work was a blessing and is a blessing, and it still can be. Genesis 2:15: the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Work is is part of God's perfect creation. The creation which he declared as good. In fact, very good. However, after man's rebellion, after sin entered the world, after the fall, God cursed the ground that he worked on. Genesis 3, 17 19 says this, through painful toil, you will eat food from it. It will produce thorns for you. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. I think it's very interesting that before the fall, we see words like fruitful and multiply and subdue relating to it. We get words like that, you know, really words all about productivity, productivity. Words about achieving something, about getting satisfaction. After the fall, we see words like this, sweat, toil, pain related to work. So work itself is not the curse. It's the toil and the striving and the hardship. That's the curse. And yet, I mean, that would be a pretty depressing end to the sermon, wouldn't it? There we go. Guess what? Fall happened. We're all going to toil. Get used to it. But praise God, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus took this curse upon himself. He took our curse upon himself. As we said, Jesus was the only man who lived his life free from striving, free from toil, free from fear, free from anxiety. And yet on that cross, he took our toil. He took our pain. As he said, Why have you deserted me? He felt that abandonment. He felt what we were feeling as part of the curse. And he died in our place to give us that peace with God so we can rest in God again. I also love the fact that he even bore those thorns that were mentioned in the curse. He even bore those thorns as a crown around his head. He took that curse upon himself. This was the plan to restore all things back to what God had originally intended, and that includes our work. That includes our work. So yes, we still live in a fallen, broken, groaning world. But you know what? Every time we choose, because it is a choice, to work with diligence and integrity. Every time we choose and say, I'm going to work for you, God, and not just for myself. What we're doing here is we're demonstrating something of the redeeming work of God in Christ Jesus in this creation. We're modeling something. We're demonstrating it. We're saying, I don't have to strive in my work for approval. I don't have to toil to get meaning in my life because Jesus has given me meaning in my life. Because of his sacrifice on the cross, I'm now accepted. I don't have to work for my salvation. We can rest in him and celebrate work as good. But it's not God. God. <laughs> It's not God. And for those who see work as a source of identity and meaning in their life, we need to know that we will never truly find lasting satisfaction in what we do. It's only in Jesus. As we've been singing about this morning, He is my all in all. He is my all in all, not my work. You know, it's only in Jesus. You are who you are, not because of your pay grade, not because of your position, not because of your track record. You are who you are because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That's how we can work from a place of rest, because we're resting in him. It's what Hebrews 4 talks about. We were looking at the Sabbath rest a few weeks back. We looked at Hebrews 4, that this promise for every follower of Jesus is to come and enter into this Sabbath rest that doesn't last for a 24-hour period. It lasts for eternity. We can know this rest in our Father. You know, as, as Michaela knew that rest in that MRI scan... As Amy knew that rest, even in the middle of trials and challenges of life. As Dave knew that peace, that God was his protector, even when his brakes had failed. We can rest in him. Even as you get through your daily commutes, knowing you're facing an unfair boss, you can rest in him. Tim Keller again says this, you know, he says, for many, work is seen as, a, as a, a way of salvation, a way of finding meaning in their lives. But he says this, if we can experience gospel rest, this is the rest we've been talking about, in our hearts, if we can be free from the need to earn our salvation through what we do, listen to this, we will have a deep reservoir of refreshment that continually rejuvenates us restores our perspective and renews our passions do you need that this morning do you need God to rejuvenate you do you need God to restore a bit of perspective in your life do you need God to renew your passion again So, as we rest in him You know, God rested on that seventh day because his creation work was finished. We too can rest because Jesus' redemption work, his work of salvation on the cross, has been finished. What did he say when he was hanging on the cross? It is finished. And we can rest in Him. You know, the truth is, Jesus doesn't free us from our work, He frees us in our work. He he frees us from all this striving. You know, the, the, the controlling factor in our lives is not our work, it's Him. We don't have to strive for things and do things we're not called to do. We can know the deep and lasting satisfaction of actually doing things for Him and doing things in His grace with His enabling through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul was talking about. In 1 Corinthians fifteen ten. he says, I work harder than all of them. It's a bit of a brash statement, isn't it? I work harder than all of them. You know, he had a pretty serious work ethic. But he goes on, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. You know, when we start taking ourselves out of our work and placing God in the center of it, we will know rest with Him. You know, we said last week we're not yoked to sin anymore. Guess what? We're no longer yoked to our work either. We're yoked to Jesus and he says, as we talked about last week, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. We don't have to strive for this work beneath the work. Jesus has fulfilled that. He's accomplished that. You know, Jesus was just as able to work incredibly hard and, it, and in the Gospels it says he was able to heal all who came to him. He taught as we saw and went the extra mile. And yet he was just as able to turn his back on the crowds and go to a solitary place and spend time with his father. Why? Because his identity wasn't in his work. He wasn't controlled or manipulated by the crowds. I mean, how tempting that would be for our egos. These crowds, have, they've come just for me. I can't disappoint them. He wasn't manipulated or controlled by the crowds. His identity was firmly rooted in his father. He knew this deep soul rest in his busyness, in his hectic schedule. What do I mean by deep soul rest? I mean a deep-seated security and peace and a sense of satisfaction in God. You know, the fact that we are resting in his grace. And for us, that only comes as we learn to abide in Jesus. That well-known passage Jesus said in John 15, verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do Nothing. I need to hear that. I need to read it over and over again. Apart from God, I can do nothing of value or worth. I have it written in the front of my Bible. Abide in me. That is the only route to satisfaction. That is the only route to true faithfulness and fruitfulness. It's as we abide in him, as we take his yoke upon us. As we learn from him, as we keep on asking to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit, that's where we become fruitful. You know, aside from him, we can do nothing of worth. Just read the first couple of chapters of Ecclesiastes. You'll find out the result of, of what happens when we chase wealth or power or pleasure. King Solomon did all of that. And what was his verdict? It's meaningless. It's meaningless. Chasing those things. Wrapping up all your focus and your energy and chasing those. It's meaningless. Psalm 127 verse 2 says this. It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. Eating the bread of anxious toil. Does that describe you? It certainly described me at times. Eating the bread of anxious toil but God gives rest to the ones he loves it's as we abide in him it's as we find our identity and our meaning and our worth in him as we find that rest that he promises you know that's when we become fruitful and not just busy it's very easy to be busy and very unfruitful boils down very simply It's a very simple message really, it boils down to just drawing closer to God day by day, not just in our times of rest, not just when we take out sort of Sabbath rest. I'm going to dedicate this 24-hour period just to drawing from you. That's important, but we need to do that daily. We need to be constantly communing with him, drawing closer to him. And I've just asked Claire to come up and just share some practical pointers, because I know she has been on a real journey with this. She is far further down the road than I am with this. Just to all about what she's learned about how to rest in God through a very hectic schedule so if you wouldn't mind just giving us some practical pointers on that that would be great i'll shut up
1: yeah just listening to steve just reminded me again of how much um i used to have my identity wrapped up in my work what i do for those of you who don't know what i do um i'm a freelance writer and editor and i've worked from home for 18 years um But Steve, when I first went freelance, Steve worked really long hours. So I did. We got involved in coming to help plant the church over here. So there was always something to do in the evenings to help. So I got involved in all of that. I was constantly working. Um, And then I became a mum and I had to give up my work. And I found it really difficult. I'm always reminded when we dedicate a child of... How tricky I found that time in my life. I did suffer from postnatal depression, but I think part of it was not being able to be in control, and it was just totally out of my comfort zone. But I was really pleased when my clients came back to me and said, We want you to come back to work. What can you do? Um, and I thought I'd got a great balance. I used to work on one book at a time, and Emily had a like clockwork routine that she'd go to sleep for two hours in the middle of the day, and it meant I could work on one book and get it done, just in those two hours a day. And I thought, I've got this sorted, this is great, I've got the best of both worlds. And then, then I had Ben, and he didn't fit into any of those routines. And of course, I had two children of different ages with different needs, and I was also taking on some different work that God had really brought to me, so I felt I was led to do that as well. But it all began to spiral, and I just felt that there was just too much going on, and I got more and more stressed. Um, Then even when the kids were in full-time school, I thought, that's it, I'm then sorted because I've got a block of time that I know I can put over to work, I don't have any childcare issues for that time, so this is going to be great. But I always felt like I was playing catch-up, I always felt like I wasn't giving enough to anything and I would still, my head would still be in that space and that the things that I'd been working on, the things that I'd been writing, when I just literally had to abandon them to rush to pick up the kids from school. They were still going on in my head, but I was also still trying to give the kids as much of my attention as possible. And it began to spiral and spiral. And I just thought, I can't, I can't do this. And that is when God started speaking. He's just whispering into my heart. And he taught me some principles about doing all of this work parenting, serving in church, all of our home life wanted me to do it from a place of rest and I don't have all the answers and I don't get it right a lot of the time but there are some things that he's been teaching me and I thought I'd just share them with you quickly. The first one is the importance of ordering my work day. This is something that came out of a life group discussion quite a few years ago that christine coles mentioned this idea and we come back to it quite often because it has challenged and helped a lot of us so before i hit my to-do list i go to god and i ask him to order my day rather than me running away with it and i think the reason this works is because it's all about heart attitude it's about saying god you are in control i'm not it's a really simple thing to do but it makes a huge difference The other one that God has been really challenging me on uh, recently is starting my working day in silence with him. If you know me, you'll know that I'm somebody who can't sit down and relax until all the jobs are done. In an evening, Steve can just go and relax as soon as the kids are in bed. And I'm like, nope, I have to sort out the mess in the kitchen. I've got to make sure all the jobs that we've got to get done that night are done before I can relax. Um, and God just started talking to me about the fact that you rush and take the kids to school. You come back and yes, you give me some time. You have a quiet time, but you always seem like you're rushing against the clocks. You know you only have a period of about five and a half hours before you've got to go and get the kids. So you're always doing, doing, doing. And it's, you're, you've got that mentality that you're rushing all the time. And God just said, I just want you to slow down. I want you to be silent and I want you to concentrate on connecting with me more deeply in that silence. And I've actually been utilising some ancient practices and doing that, some breathing meditation things, which I'm happy to share with anybody if they're interested, but I know I don't have time to do that now. Um, But with both of those things, they actually ate into my working day. I had to take some time out at the start of my day. But I felt I was able to get everything done that I needed to anyway. My writing came together more quickly. Everything, the, the whole day seemed easier when I do that. I've also learned the importance of prayerfully prioritising rather than prioritising myself. Sometimes I just simply get my to-do list, I read it out, I offer it to God, and then I ask for his perspective if there's anything that I could just leave off it for that day. Sometimes I pray that God would just show me that one thing that he wants me to concentrate on in that day, and totally against my nature... I purposefully then leave all the other things that are on my to-do list alone. And actually, it's amazing. Some of those things that I thought were so important, when I've left them for a while, I, don't, I find that I don't actually need to do them at all. I also think that this works with planning ahead. I know with jobs and church life, quite often you need to plan your diary weeks and months in advance. And I would say pray over your diary regularly. And we all have seasons in our lifetimes where it's, out of necessity, really, really busy. But if you know you've got something like that coming up, pray and ask God that he will then help you organise a more restful period to follow it so your life stays in balance. It's all about keeping that balance. One of the other things that God's taught me, and this has been over quite a few years, is about learning to say no to the wrong things and yes to the right things. And I think For Steve and I for many years, I think we kind of thought it was unchristian to say no. We used to say yes to everything. And even when we were both working so hard, we'd say yes to everything that we needed doing in church as well. And it is frankly exhausting. Um, And God started talking to us as a couple about, actually, you don't need to do that. You need to say no to that. And it surprised us. And I think it actually also surprised some of the people we said no to. So I think we need to give each other grace that we actually say yes to things that God has asked us to do, not just... friends or our colleagues have said and I was really impacted by a book called the best yes which focuses on you giving over your time to the best yes you can say yes to lots of things and there are lots of great things that we can do and yet if we say yes to too many things we might not actually be able to give the time over to those things that God wants us to focus on And actually, if we're crowding out our lives, we might be stopping somebody else. One of the things that we're doing, God might have that for someone else, and we're stopping them from being able to do it because we've taken over and we're doing it. Um, And so that was a really important lesson for me, and I still stand by that. I think it's great advice. But I also began to realise that there was a heart attitude shift, and I began to use that as an excuse to say no. I can't possibly do that. I'll be too busy. No, I can't do that. And I think I went a bit overboard, and I think partly of... That was because I was in a bit of overprotective mode, very protective of our family time. Don't want to get involved with that because that's going to impact our family. No, we can't do that. But then God challenged me as the women's book study group. The first book we do, did was Having a Mary Heart in a Martha World, which talks all about this kind of thing. And I was really impacted by something the author said. We are created to say an enthusiastic yes to the call of God in our lives, both to his call to devotion, our worship, but also his call to service, our work, whether that's paid work outside the church, but also our works of service in the church. And this is the key, I think, saying yes to him releases his power and his joy to our souls. It's what gives us the strength and the energy to do what he wants us to do. I've got a really practical example of that um, just this week. I've had a very long week. F- hit Friday, and our kids had both had a sleepover with friends over. They were all overtired, so I had four children. I'd invited them over in the hopes that that would keep the kids amused and I could get on with some work. I had a lot of deadlines to sort out. I got to the end of the day, and I was totally frazzled, and then I had to come and lead a worship practice. And I was like, oh, man, that's the last thing I feel like doing. And then... Nathan can testify and the other guys that were down here I was just in a really as soon as I walked into the building I just got really excited I thought it's so great that we can just come and do this and use our gifts in this way and just come and have fun together and worship God and I just kept saying I'm just having such fun I think Steve said it the, um, one of the other weeks that he was talking to people about how they were feeling about serving in the church in an area and they were just full of energy even though it took up a lot of their time I think God does give us the energy for the things that he's called us to and quite often we get burnt out when we're giving our time to things that he never asked us to do in the first place and finally I would just say be open to the unexpected when we give over every part of our lives to God including our work sometimes he brings things or people into our lives that hadn't been on our horizons at all and when that would happen to me in the past I would be so focused on now I have to sit at my desk for every hour that the kids are at school. I've got to be working. And sometimes I'd say to God, I can't deal with that. Don't put that there because I'm working. I've just got to focus. But now I'm learning to prayerfully consider whether an interruption has come from God and whether he wants me to um, open myself up to it. And when I do, when I realize that it is from him, actually my life is really enriched. And he gives me the capacity to be able to deal with that as well as the other things that I need to do in a day. And so while I know some of that won't practically help all of you, I just hope that um, it's just given you some examples from my own life. I know we all have to find our own unforced rhythms of grace with God in our working day, but that's just some of the things that he's been teaching me about.
0: Brilliant. Thank you so much. I mean, just to finish, if we could have the band back. Oh, it's you as well. Um, Sorry, it's you working hard. Resting in God. You know, God doesn't want us to live stressed out, burnt out lives. And as we learn to continually abide in him, rest in his grace, we can know that deep soul rest, even in the middle of a hectic schedule. Amen. Amen. Why don't we just stand and worship God? I'd love to pray for some people um, after this song, and just uh, there will be people here ready to pray with you. If you feel absolutely burnt out, if you feel I am, I'm barely keeping my head above the water, I would love to pray for you. If you've just recognized that, you know what, I've allowed my career to, to, to take far too prominent place in my life. It's become my meaning in my life. I, again, I'd just like to pray with you as well. Let's worship God.